Okay, welcome to the podcast, The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein. Uh, and on this podcast, we focus on making the, uh, the scriptures come to life for us. We just uh, talk with people about little things that they've learned that uh, have helped them make the stories of the scripture or the people in the scriptures real to them. And then the scriptures are more powerful. Uh, that's a lasting testimony of the, the truth and the power of the scriptures. And uh, we, we believe that a lot of good can come out of this. Today, I'm really excited for my guest. My guest is Trevin Hatch. Uh, who's a longtime friend of mine, and uh, he is the uh, the li- he's a librarian at uh, the Harold B. Lee Library at Brigham Young University. He's the uh, section librarian. You'll have to tell me if I've got the right title, but the section librarian for uh, Ancient Near Eastern Studies and the Ancient Scripture Department, and maybe some other things. So tell us about yourself, Trevin, and, and uh, what I haven't said correctly in that interview or that, hey. that introduction. Okay, thanks, Kerry. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, yes, I'm the uh, basically what I'm is a research specialist in the library, and my my title is uh, some big long thing. Uh, it's ancient scripture, uh, Middle East, uh, ancient Near Eastern studies, anthropology, you know, which includes archaeology. Those are the subjects that I um, that I deal with. So I'm like all those things, and then I'm the subject specialist of those things. So I pretty much spend most of my time helping students with research. Um, faculty with their research and doing my own research. So it really is the best kept secret in academics to work at a, as an academic librarian. I love it. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you get to both teach and spend a lot of time researching and helping other people research, I've often been jealous of your position. It's fantastic. Fun, yeah. Why don't you just fun. tell us a, a little bit about your uh, background, both your academic background and just your personal background. Okay. Um, yeah, I was born and raised a Utah boy, and I came to a couple miles from BYU went to all the sports camps and everything. And then I came to BYU and got a degree in ancient Near Eastern studies uh, and history. And I was in a fast track to Hebrew Testament, uh, but I got kind of scared because getting a job as a Latter-day Saint in biblical studies outside of BYU is difficult. Uh, Maybe it's a conversation that um, somebody could have on the podcast of why that's the case and how it impacts our uh, ability to deal with the outside world in biblical exegesis, but the reason why, so when I got scared, I, I jumped ship from classical, classically trained biblical studies into Jewish studies. I thought it was more broad. I thought it was more practical, but it was absolutely not, but I thought it was at the time. So I got a master's degree in Jewish studies with an emphasis in early Jewish and rabbinic literature. So during the time of Christ and a few centuries after, and then for a number of reasons, I launched into two doctoral programs in the years following at LSU down in Baton Rouge in what is basically sociology religion, wrote a dissertation on American Jews. And my, the other doctoral degree is in Jewish studies, you know, early Judaism, biblical studies. I've been working on that for eight years and now I'm finally getting to my dissertation phase. So it's, uh, it's been fun, uh, fun academic ride to learn how to read the New Testament and, and in the Old Testament from Jews. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you have a book out, uh, Stranger in Jerusalem, that I think does a fantastic job of helping us understand the messianic expectations of Jews in Jesus's day and and just that uh, that setting uh, of uh, Judaism that Christ grows up in. I mean, he, he, he grows up an observant Jew, and I think we often don't think of him that way. He doesn't just grow up. He spends his entire life as an observant Jew, and, uh, and it helps us to understand that world, to understand uh, the New Testament. So that's also some great stuff that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's a fun book to write. I did that in 2019. 
and my students absolutely love it because we talk about questions that are non-typical. Uh, and we can even talk about some of them today, but it's, you know, questions as a social scientist who also does uh, biblical studies, the research questions that I ask are like, you know, how does the power stru structures associate with the peasants, the peasant class, and a lot of those issues, and how long did people live, and, and what were the diseases they had, what did they eat, and how did that affect their life, you know, their, their way of life, their fatigue, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's similar to what archaeologists do, similar oh. type of data. I'm not an archaeologist, but uh, yeah, those questions are really fun to ask. And to, a related issue, and, th and this is one of the topics that I love, uh, love to study. I mean, for me, it's like daily life, the Messiah or messianic expectations, and then the Pharisees. And that, that, that's the big discussion. But even it's like with the Messiah, you have this, uh, you know, in Second Samuel, we, we read where God tells David. And then you also have uh, all throughout, you have numbers, and you have Genesis, you have these different books that kind of hint at this future figure who's going to come out of Jacob or come out of Israel. And he's going to, he's, it's going to be a star, right? Come out of Jacob and to, to rule the world. But at the time, yeah. by the time we get to Second Samuel, we then Get a, we get some more specifics and we get this promise where God tells David that his, his uh, posterity, his Davidic line will, uh, he, it will produce uh, a messianic king or a Davidic king will be everlasting. And, and then the Hebrew prophets take this and a lot of people are waiting, especially after the exile. Is there going to be a new Jerusalem rebuilt? It's going to be led by this messianic king. And uh, all throughout uh, the Hebrew prophets and the Israelite literature, you can start to see those poor, the poor and the oppressed, and that ideal have to be taken care of before the Messiah comes. To, to It's not just this nice city that's going to rule the world and, and bring in Messiah, that there has to be certain things that have to be done, certain conditions, and um, taking care of the poorest among you is one of them. And so when the later you get in Israelite history, and the closer you get to into the Persian period, and right on the eve of the Greeks coming, you have increased... I think, I mean, I think you can see it in the text where there's this increased expectation, a sort of anxiety about this future messianic king and when is he coming to save us? And um, by the time you get to Jesus, like we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, we've gone through those texts, people have gone through them and looked at all the different messianic expectations. This is what people expected the Messiah to accomplish. And, and this is really to to stop oppression, to overthrow corrupt governments, to establish a new sort of like Eden, an Edenic paradise, this paradise like Eden, to restore it to that. And man, by the time Jesus comes, you had Greeks and you had Romans, not to mention the lifestyle, the daily life that we talked about. And there's this oppression on all sides and corruption. Even the Jewish high priest, that office was bought with the highest bidder. And so that was corrupted. And you know, that, that was that was corrupted. And so now you have, by the time Jesus comes in his generation, you have the messianic expectations have reached a fever pitch. And this is the perfect setting where now Jesus comes in and you've got, um, you know, and he's also seems to be uncomfortable with this message of a Messiah. Not that he disowns, he just says, be careful, don't tell, be careful with your language. In John, read about people wanting him to, to make Jesus king. And so right. he escapes from there. But all of this is wrapped into this narrative of how uh, sort of a Zion is built, and it starts with helping the least among us. That's that's very good, and I and I think uh, that idea of the oppression and foreigners kind of plays in in some stories in ways we often don't think about. So, for example, 
I mean, someone might wonder why do they keep rebelling against Assyria when Assyria has beaten them so badly? Or why are they rebelling against Babylon when uh, Babylon's beaten them so badly? Well, it's because they're exacting a tribute of both goods and people. Uh, and, and it gets pretty hard after a while when you are already struggling to get by to then have so much of your, your goods taken and to see your sons and daughters taken to be slaves or in the army or the military and so on. And then that's not only the loss of people you love, but loss of people who are helping you survive. Um, and it becomes unbearable to where you just think, I can't make it. Even if we die in an army, that, that's not going to, or in a battle, that's not going to be different than me dying from starvation. And of course, that's that's one of the problems with uh, publicans uh, in Jewish society under the Romans, right? Because they're seen as uh, part of the group that is taking an inordinate amount from people who are barely surviving anyway. And uh, so all of that comes to play in these stories. Yeah. And if I, you know, I guess if I would tell people like in my ward, if I was teaching gospel doctrine or people listening to this podcast, I would say sometimes the Old Testament gets a little bit tedious depends on how you're approaching it. Sometimes you're thinking, man, this is, in fact, one um, one woman in my previous ward when I lived in Santa Quinn, she says, you know, I never read the Old, Old Testament because it, with my kids because it was so messed up, as the words she used. And I think one way to approach the Old Testament is to try to see it through, try, try to put, you know, daily, put you in that setting and, and think about the things that we've, we've talked about and try to put yourselves in those who are, see a different perspective. And it's a really fun exercise. And I, I do this with my students here on, you know, let, let's be Laman and Lemuel. Okay. What were they so mad at? Yeah. Uh, there's a certain area, obviously there they'll, there's things that they did that are improper, but you know, what they see from their perspective, they have Lehi and Nephi taking them out into the wilderness with these other crazy, the Rechabites that we read about in Jeremiah, these crazy people who were mad at the King. So they want to go live in tents and build up their own kingdom. And so they're like, what in the, Jerusalem can't fall. We saw it survive the Assyrians. And so you guys are crazy. Yeah. Sometimes there's a little bit of empathy, even for people who we would normally say, you know, they are dirty, rotten, evil people. But I, I try to do that. I put myself in the shoes of Judas. What was he thinking? What, what are some alternate uh, options for interpretation than just some guy who was just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to sell out and, and sell Jesus off for the price of uh, again, a bottle of ointment or I try to put myself in the shoes of the Pharisees, like what's their deal? What, what do they really want? As opposed to just bloodthirsty people who want to stone everybody. It's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, what yeah. was you thinking? And this is a, it's a good exercise to, to go through. Not that we agree with all of those people or, you know, um, I mean, it depends on who you're looking at, but David had struggles. Yeah. Solomon had struggles, everybody. It's so it's David and Goliath. It's the story of, you know, Dave, David and Goliath. We usually get that message. And, and with our seminary kids and even in come follow me, it tends to kind of go towards, you know, what is your Goliath in life and with, with the Lord, anything's possible. And that's certainly a worthwhile message. But when we, when we think of that time period and we look at the text, what the texts are trying to do, you've got this teenager, David, who's from the tribe of Judah and they're familiar with these different prophecies. And then you've got Saul who's from the tribe of Benjamin. So you've got these different tribes and they've got probably some rivalries among them. In fact, we know that from the book of Judges when all the ancient Israelites were furious at the tribe of Benjamin for allowing horrible things to happen. And they were going to like sort of exterminate them. This sort of right. way. So anyway, so there's these. That's these part of the messed up part of the Bible. We can talk about that later. But yeah, that's 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 in one of the most messed up stories of the Bible. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, very difficult. And so then so you get this story where you've got war 
Okay, what are, what are the um, practices of war? Well, you set up your best uh, military fighter versus our best military fighter, right? Because we believe that our God is better than your God and why kill, you know, why, why risk killing everybody? Let's just set right. up our best. And you've got Goliath who is nine feet tall, according to later texts, but then, you know, Masoretic texts, you know, these are texts that are you know, post-date Jesus by about a thousand years. But if we get back into earlier, you know, the, the Bible, of the, the Dead Sea Scroll, the Qumran sect, or the Septuagint, right, the Greek translation, he's about six and a half feet tall, right? four cubits in a span. And so when I'm in Israel with people, I stand on my toes, and I'm when I stand on my toes, I'm about six and a half feet tall, and I say, okay, I'm bigger than most people who are average height of about five, five, uh, you know, typical male in the... Yeah, yeah, they were smaller then. Yeah, five, five. And so, so you get people five, one, five, two, five, three, looking up at a six and a half feet tall Goliath. But what's interesting is we look in the text is Saul. It says he's a head taller than any man and he's handsome and he's, he's, he's the king. So he, he, the story saying he should have been the one fighting Goliath. And so when David comes, the story is this fascinating complex story where David says, okay, I'm going to step into the place of the king. So it's this kind of showing you how the power went from Saul and the tribe of Benjamin to David and the tribe of Judah. You know, yeah to show how this um, the prophecies are fulfilling, but David puts on the armor. No, I don't like this. So I'm going to take up uh, a, a sling, which was the choice we learn in, in Chronicles and in Judges. This is the choice weapon of the Benjamites. They were, they were excellent, you know, slingers. And so here's David picking up the choice weapon of the Benjamites and slays Goliath. A lot of that stuff where combination of archeology, span combination of, you know, war, uh, war tactics, um, rivalries between tribes and you can bring all those elements in there and you can really see how, you know, what, what's the mindset of these different people watching your King defer to this young boy, however old he was. Um, and I just, uh, those are the kind of stories that I really like I take common stories and try to f- look at the subtext and the content right. really, really comes to life. I really love those kinds of stories. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, uh, there, there's a ton in all of the David stories that if you look at them more carefully, you'll say, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of going on here that we haven't thought of. Right. Uh, and David's pretty savvy in a lot of those stories. But uh, all right. Well, uh, Trevin, thank you very much. And uh, we, we hope this has been helpful for our audience. Uh, have a great day. And remember, uh, the scriptures are real and, and they're authentic and they will help us come unto Christ and, and our father in heaven. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you.